We continue with the sermon series through the book of the Acts. I invite you to open your Bible or one of the few Bibles to the reading of God's holy, inspired, infallible, and inerrant word as we read from the first portion of Acts chapter 27. Let us ask the Lord to bless this reading and hearing of his word. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice in you, for you have proven yourself to be the God of love and mercy by sending your own Son into the world to take upon himself our human nature yet without sin in order to live before you on our behalf and to offer up himself as the atoning sacrifice for all our sins. In His name we pray that You will send forth now the Holy Spirit upon us afresh to give us spiritual illumination, to open our minds and to enlighten the eyes of our hearts and to receive by faith what You say through Your Word of Scripture. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 27, beginning at verse 1. This is the word of God. It is written. And when it was decided that we, that is to say, Paul and Luke and the others, that when we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius, and embarking in a ship of Andromedium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, that's what we would call Turkey, we put to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, that's moving upward on the coast, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off night us, as, and as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast, and that refers to the, de- the Jewish Day of Atonement, which is would be would have been either in late September, early October. Um, our, our Jewish friends recently celebrated the Day of Atonement. Um, since even the feast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. 
But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now, when the south wind blew gently... Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, that is the attached lifeboat. After hoisting it up, they used supports, cables, to undergird the ship. Then fearing that they would run aground on the Sirtis sandbars, um, coming out from northern Africa, they lowered the gear and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet, now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold... God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. Thus far in the reading of God's Word. And to His name be all praise, honor, and glory forever and ever. Amen. So again today in Acts 27, we have another travelogue narrative, the beginning of Paul's seafaring voyage to Rome. Now scholars have noted that uh, uh, Luke's account in Acts 27 is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, of all actual historical accounts of sailing voyages from antiquity. Of course, we know of of many uh, fictional accounts of sea voyages, but this is an historical account from antiquity, and scholars are greatly impressed by it. And the, the specific details of this account could have been written only by an eyewitness, who, of course, was Paul's companion, Dr. Luke. But scholars have also asked this question. Why this 
extended and detailed account. Why did Luke think it so important to give us such a complete narrative of Paul's sea voyage to Rome? Some scholars have suggested that there is nothing particularly or uh, especially edifying about this passage, which might cause a preacher to wonder, what am I going to preach on from this passage this Sunday? And it also might cause someone in the pews to wonder, what does this have to do with me? Well, let's answer those questions. We know that all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable, and we know that these things were written down for our instruction. And so this morning, I want us to look at this passage from four different vantage points with four things in mind. Number one, simply an appreciation of the historical fact of Paul's journey to Rome. An appreciation of this history. Number two, Paul's spiritual virtues revealed during his seafaring journey to Rome. Christian virtues. Number three, the metaphorical or symbolic or figurative application of Paul's journey to our own lives. And number four, ultimately, the sovereign power of Jesus Christ for the building up of his church and the victory of the gospel throughout the world. Number one, appreciation of the historical fact of Paul's journey to Rome. What I mean is simply this. Paul's voyage to Rome is a fact of history, a fact of history which changed history. And I think that that's one of the reasons that Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote it in such careful detail. This is real life, real history, world changing history. The journey was difficult and dangerous and things didn't go as planned. It was not smooth sailing. Let's think about some of those real life details. To begin with, verse 1 tells us that Paul was on board a ship full of prisoners. Paul himself was one of these prisoners, but it is most likely that the other prisoners on board, and there were a lot of them, were criminals who had already been condemned to die and who therefore were being shipped to Rome to entertain the masses in gladiatorial battle in the Colosseum. Now, how would you like to be on board with that group of people on your Mediterranean cruise? But in the providence of God, Paul enjoyed the favor of the Roman centurion in charge of the voyage, whose name was Julius. Evidently, Julius could see that Paul was no common criminal. Perhaps he had received instruction from Governor Festus to treat Paul more favorably. And Luke and Paul were also accompanied by a fellow believer, Aristarchus, whom Paul will later mention in his letter to the Colossians, which he wrote from Rome after he arrived there. And so Paul had the blessing of Christian fellowship on his journey, and on their first stop up the coast, Julius allowed Paul to get off the ship and to go into the city of Sidon to visit his Christian friends there who cared for him probably with a good meal and perhaps with a financial love offering. But 
From there on, it would be rough sailing against contrary winds on a typhoon-tossed sea. And as we read, they, they changed their course to try to find sufficient shelter from the storm. As might be expected, there was disagreement about the best plan of action as to how to proceed. Paul himself warned Julius, the commander and the pilot of the ship, and the owner of the ship, that the weather was going to become increasingly bad and therefore the best thing to do would be to remain harbored on the south side of the island of Crete. But the owner and the pilot of the ship wanted to press on, try to find a better harbor on the western coast of Crete and spend the winter there. And the point of all this is that it's a real-life scenario. Paul was on a difficult and dangerous journey with cutthroat criminals in terrible sailing conditions, dealing with the stress of decision-making and differences of opinion when there really were no good options. And as Luke account. Luke's account continues, we see that things got even worse with the typhoon-powered winds driving the ship way off course and the crew had to hoist up the, the lifeboat up onto the ship and then they had to secure the body of the ship by wrapping cables around it and they lowered the anchor to try to provide some stability in the storm. They began to throw cargo overboard and after three days of being battered by the storm, they threw the ship's tackle overboard and scholars surmise that that may have been the main beam supporting the main sail overboard and then the sky went black in the storm for many days so that neither sun nor stars appeared for many days which means they had no way to navigate they were lost at sea and Luke says all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned now let's just pause and simply appreciate the historical fact of this difficult and dangerous journey, Paul's journey to Rome, to take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost parts of the earth because here we are today in the uttermost parts of the earth, worshiping the true and living God whom Paul worshipped, to whom Paul belonged, as he says. We are hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are benefiting in innumerable ways, countless ways, from the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the blessings of the Christian faith in Western civilization for the past 2,000 years. You can't imagine your life apart from this history. And as I've said before, Paul's story is our story. This is our history as Christian people, and we ought to remember and appreciate it. For example, as we approach our National Thanksgiving Day, I hope that we will remember our pilgrim forebears and their incredibly difficult and dangerous journey across the wild Atlantic, and the horrors of their first winter in that wild, strange land we now call the United States of America. On July 4th, hopefully we remember the courageous sacrifice of those who pledged their lives, their fortune, and their sacred honor for the liberties we now enjoy. Some of you have been to Normandy. 
and have been personally overwhelmed by the realization of the sacrifices that were made there to secure and perpetuate those liberties, not only for ourselves, but for the world. Isn't it important every now and again to ponder these historical facts and teach them to our children? Well, I think that may be one reason that Luke, by the Spirit, wrote this detailed, extended, factual, historical account of Paul's journey to Rome for the church throughout the ages for us today. Now remember, Paul was on that ship because he appealed to Caesar. But Paul appealed to Caesar not simply, not merely to avoid being sent back to Jerusalem where he would have most likely been assassinated or would have been assassinated along the way. No, no, no. He wasn't merely trying to preserve his life for the sake of preserving his life. He appealed to Caesar in order to fulfill the calling of his life. Going to Rome was a strategic step in the fulfillment of his missionary calling to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And this is how he got there. It wasn't pretty, it wasn't easy, and it wasn't fun, but it was in fulfillment of the call and commissioning of Jesus Christ for the sake of the redemption of the world. And we ought to appreciate that fact very much. Number two, Paul's spiritual virtues revealed during his seafaring journey to Rome. The spiritual virtues we see in Paul under this duress as elsewhere throughout his missionary endeavors reveal the integrity and the authenticity of his witness. The integrity and the authenticity of his witness. This is what he was willing to endure for the sake of proclaiming the gospel to the ends of the earth. First of all, of course, is the spiritual virtue of faith. Now, by faith, get this, by faith, I do not mean a positive attitude or optimism. Although true Christian faith does contribute to a more positive attitude, but but a positive attitude and faith are not the same thing. Don't get them confused. By faith, I mean an unwavering trust in the word of the Lord an unwavering trust in the word of the Lord. The Lord Jesus had appeared to Paul in a vision and said to him, you must also testify in Rome. That was in Acts chapter 23. So Paul trusted that he would, in fact, make it to Rome. After the prisoners and crew on the ship had gone without food for a long time and surely must have given up all hope, Paul stood up among them and said, I urge you, to take heart, which could be paraphrased, be cheerful, not fearful. It really can be, by the way. (laughs) For this very night there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong. What a great phrase, the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. Be cheerful, not fearful. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I 
have been told. I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. Paul's faith was in the God who had spoken to him. He believed God. He took God at his word and let that be his anchor in the midst of the storm. And so Paul was of good courage in what was otherwise a dire and perhaps hopeless situation. This faith in God's Word enabled Paul to persevere. Perseverance being another spiritual virtue. Perseverance is faith moving forward, faith pressing on. Perseverance is hope in action. And another spiritual virtue which authenticates Paul's life and ministry made evident through this persevering faith was his willingness to suffer, to endure hardships, to go through trials and tribulations for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Of course, we see this throughout his missionary work. And Paul never asked for any of this trouble. But he's willing to do whatever it takes to fulfill his mission for Jesus Christ. His life is totally given over to Christ and to the calling which Christ has given him. Paul counted his life as less than nothing, and his only desire was to honor Christ in his life and in his death. And we are called to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. Which gets us to number three, the metaphorical or symbolic or figurative application of Paul's journey to our own lives. Paul's difficult and dangerous voyage to Rome might in some ways, without being overly dramatic about it, I mean, it it might in some ways be likened to our difficult and dangerous journey through life. Most of us, for most of our lives, don't endure the kinds of trials and tribulations that Paul experienced, but nevertheless... Fact remains, we all, if we are truly following Christ, we all must make our pilgrim's progress through this difficult and dangerous fallen world to the celestial city. And we enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. And each of us, in our own way, will pass through storms of danger disappointment, trials, tempests which knock us off course, suffering, uncertainty, and sorrow. Surely we can learn from Paul and seek after the same virtues in our own lives through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We are called to imitate Paul as he imitated Christ. Now, We need to be clear about something here. None of us is an apostle. None of us directly and immediately receives specific commissioning, as did Paul, directly from the Lord Jesus. Nor does any of us receive specific personal instructions from the Lord Jesus in visions or dreams or angelic messages. If you did, it would scare you to death or you would think you were going crazy, and surely everybody else would think you were going crazy too. That's not how it works for us. 
Paul and the other apostles of the New Testament were and are in a category unique unto themselves in church history in that regard. However, however, here's the question. Has God spoken to you? How does God speak to you? How firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in His excellent Word. Has God spoken to you? Has God promised to forgive all of your sins forever when you turn to Him in true repentance and faith in Jesus Christ? Has God promised to be with you always that He will never leave you nor forsake you when you pass through the waters and when you walk through fire, and when He leads you through the valley of the shadow of death. Has God promised you that He will supply every need of yours according to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus? Has God promised you your daily bread for this life and the bread of heaven who will sustain you for all eternity? Has God promised you that you will be, Christian, more than a conqueror, even when slain by the sword or killed by famine, and when enduring tribulation, distress, or persecution, more than a conqueror through Christ who loved us? Has God spoken to you and told you, Christian, that to die is gain, and that it is far better to depart and be with Christ? For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Has God spoken to you, Christian, and told you that He will raise your lowly, decayed body and transform it to be like the glorious body of our Lord Jesus Christ? Has God promised you that there is a kingdom which endures forever in which He will wipe away every tear from your face? Has God promised you, Christian, everything? Everything you could ever hope for, everything good and true and beautiful your heart could rightly desire for all eternity through Jesus Christ. Has He, has He spoken that word to you? You bet He has, because all I've been doing is quoting God's Word spoken 
to you. And His Word spoken to us in Scripture is better, I said it, better than an angelic vision. Now, the question is, Christian, do you have faith in God that it will be exactly as you have been told? Those are Paul's words in this passage. Do you have faith in God that it will be exactly as you have been told? Will you therefore persevere in faith through all the storms of life, the sunless days, the starless nights, the days without food and the nights without sleep, in the midst of hopeless despair all around you? Will you take heart and be cheerful, not fearful? And there's something even bigger than that. Number four, the sovereign power of Jesus Christ for the building up of His church and the victory of the gospel throughout the world. What we should see in this passage is not simply a, a sea-voyaging uh, adventure story, of course not, and not only those virtues in the life of Paul, which we would pray that the Holy Spirit would work in our lives as well, and there's something even more than the, the, the promises of our own personal salvation which we have recited just now. It's this. We should see in this passage Jesus Christ sovereignly at work. At work not only in the life of Paul, not only through the Roman centurion Julius, but also it worked through the midst of the storm, the preservation of the ship, the crew and the passengers. Jesus Christ at work by His sovereign power taking Paul to Rome. We should see Jesus getting Paul to Rome. By Luke's account, this ship and all on board could have been, should have been lost any number of times. As we read, their lives were endangered over and over again. They were violently storm-tossed, went without food for a long time, disagreement about the best course of action. They might have otherwise abandoned their plan to sail to Rome and gone back to Caesarea. On top of all this, remember that the ship was full of hardened criminals condemned to die who might have revolted in mutiny. But you see, behind it all, I should say above it all, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of heaven, was working out His sovereign plan and purpose, and nothing was going to thwart that. He, the Lord Jesus, had determined to send Paul to Rome, and there was nothing, not even a typhoon, neither sunless day nor starless night, that could prevent that from happening. What was at stake was not merely Paul's physical safety nor Paul's personal desire, but rather the mission of Jesus Christ Himself to send His word of salvation to the ends of the earth. You remember that during His earthly ministry, Jesus had declared, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And in Acts 27 and throughout the book of Acts, we see Jesus fulfilling that declaration. Now this is the word of good courage and good cheer which we really need to hear today. Too many Christians today 
When frightened by the evils and the ills of American society, seem as though they are ready to throw in the towel, to throw up their hands in hopeless helplessness, as though God is not on His throne or as though Jesus Christ has not been raised from the dead. Surely that is not true of you. But there is a kind of panic, defeatism, and despair too prevalent. Or at least, certainly, the enemy wants to uh, engender that in us today. But you see, dear friends, the advance of the gospel in this fallen world, the increase of the church in this fallen world, has never come easily. And that's one thing we need to get used to. That's, that's what we're not used to in our culture. Throughout the 2,000 years of church history, there have been, shall we say, many dark and storm-tossed seas upon which faithful Christians have been called to sail. But Christ, our captain, is always at the helm. He's never going to abandon his post. He's never going to give up the ship. He's never going to abandon his mission. He's never going to stop building his church throughout the world in every nation, until He comes again. And we see that in this passage. Nothing can stop Him. The sovereign power of Jesus Christ for the building up of His church and the victory of the gospel throughout the world. And and we today, you and I, are called to be a part of that mission, just as the Apostle Paul was called to it in the first century. You may be full-time homemaker, stay-at-home mom raising children. That's that's kingdom-building work. You may be employed outside the home, male and female, working. But whatever your particular calling in this world is, that's where you are to let your light shine and be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, even against opposition. That's why it's so important to be committed to a community of believers in a local congregation, to continue to bear witness before a watching, secularized, unbelieving world that we belong to God and worship Him. Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Why? Because, as the Scripture says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. To God be the glory. Amen. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the promise of the victory of the gospel. Thank you for the victory of Jesus Christ. Thank you that he is our captain. And grant us grace, Lord, to follow him faithfully, courageously, cheerfully as he leads us on our voyage. 
through this world and into your eternal kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand to affirm our faith as we say together the Philippian Creed based on Philippians chapter 2. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe.